Heavenly Father, we all come in agreement before you right now, and we just uh, believe that we'll hear what you have for us today. We thank you, Father, for the oracles of God, that it be your word, that we wouldn't just be challenged, that we would be changed. Holy Spirit, I submit myself to you right now. I decrease so that you would increase. Think through my thoughts. Speak through my words. If I mess it up in the saying, Father, fix it in the hearing before it gets downrange. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, Rules of Righteousness, Part 8, is uh, really mine, Part 8. We're on rule number seven. All these numbers get mixed up in my head. But uh, it's righteousness regards the beneficiary or the heir as the real owner. Okay? Now, the first thing we want to do is get our definition of heir out of the way. The legal definition of heir is this. Anyone who acquires property upon someone's death, which is based upon the rules of descent and distribution. An heir cannot be identified until the person leaving the property dies because the heir apparent may pass away first. Upon adoption, a legally adopted child gains the right to be an heir as if he or she were the natural child of the adopted parents. Now, you become an heir when somebody else dies and leaves you your inheritance. Not when you die. Religion has tricked us, and I don't know why we have swallowed it, but we think that we're an heir after we die. Okay? That's totally wrong, and I can't believe we bought it. The church has bought it hook, line, and sinker. All right, let's go to Titus 3. Titus 3 and verse 5. This has our, been our jumping off scripture for a long time. I don't know, eight weeks, I guess. The reason I keep doing this is so that we're drill, I'm drilling you in the Scripture. I'm drilling it to you so that it'll, you'll know what it is down on the inside of you and it'll come to you in a time of crisis. Titus 3 and verse 5, it says this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done. You cannot build your own equity with God. There's nothing that you can do. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7, that being justified, and that word justified This is this, that we get a winning sentence. We get a winning sentence handed down to us under the rules of righteousness. God's court is a court of righteousness. We win. Why? By His grace. And look at this, it says, we be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And we looked at this for several weeks. That word life is zoe. It's the life of God. It is not bios. It is not your heart beating anymore. It's not your lungs breathing in air that keeps you alive. It is the life of God that is on the inside of you. When God's spirit mixed with your spirit, you became a new creation, a new species of being. Okay? That's why you can be bulletproof. You cannot, you, nothing can kill you unless you let it kill you. That, we saw that last week. As Jesus is in this world, so are we. He said, I lay down my life and I take it up. Nobody could take it from me. And we're the same way. We spent a lot of time on that last week. If you didn't get it, the CD's up here and, and get a hold of that. But look, and then that word eternal means perpetual. Perpetual. And I always make this joke about having a perpetual gas tank. It's always on full. You'd never have to fill up your gas tank. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be awesome. That's how God is with eternal life. It's perpetual life. Your life is always on full. It's instantly and constantly being renewed second by second. Can't, can't kill off the life of God. It's on the inside. That's what's keeping you alive now. It is not your natural life that's keeping you alive anymore. And see, religion has tricked us into thinking that, oh, we get eternal life when we die and go to heaven. No, you get eternal life as soon as you accept Jesus. That's when you become born of the Spirit and born of the flesh. Again, I'll refer you to last week's CD if you have questions about that. Now, let's look at the next thing is our legal definition of inheritance. It says this, the money and or property received upon a relative's death. Whose death? Not yours. A relative's death. Due to the laws of descent and distribution, even when a will doesn't exist. 
Commonly, the term inheritance refers to anything received from an estate of someone who has died. Who is the relative that died so we could have an inheritance? Jesus, absolutely. He's our big brother. He died so that we could have all this stuff. He left it for us. Not when we die, when Jesus died, okay? When we, do, when we push it off to after we die, what we do is say, Jesus, what you did wasn't enough. What you did wasn't enough. Appreciate it, but you know what? I, I know we're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to get it. Okay, let's go to Ephesians 1. This is where we've been looking at this. Uh, we've been looking at our inheritance. Ephesians 1 and verse 15. This is the Ephesians prayer. And, and uh, we're, we're only about halfway through it, and we're not going to get too much further today. <laughs> Glory. I've slowed down, right, Cheryl? Yes, sir. I don't, you don't have your cards this morning, do you? Okay. <laughs> Cheryl's got cards that tell me slow down, repeat. <laughs> Glory. She's, she's going to make one if she needs it. Okay. Ephesians 1 and verse 15. Wherefore I also, said the Apostle Paul, and then look at this. I put this in parentheses because this is a side thought. It says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. You could actually put that in front if you wanted to. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I also, wherefore I also, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Well, if Paul is also praying this with somebody, we want to know who it was that he was praying with. We saw the very verse before that. He was talking about the Holy Spirit being the down payment of our inheritance. So he joins forces with the Holy Spirit. This, when the Holy Spirit says it says in the Word in Romans that He makes intercession for us. This is one of the intercessory prayers that the Holy Spirit prays for you. And then Paul says, I'm going to join forces with the Holy Spirit, and I pray it for you. So if it was good enough for Paul and it's good enough for the Holy Spirit, I mean, we probably we should be praying it for ourselves. Okay? And it's a real good one. If you don't know what to pray for another Christian, it's a good one to pray for. Pray this prayer over them. Put their name in it. Okay? He says this, verse 17. That the God, here's the prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of Him, and that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know and experience. That Greek word there for know is know and experience. He doesn't just want you to know it. He wants you to experience it. A lot of people know stuff, but they don't experience it. He says He wants you to know and experience what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Let's stop right there. Whose inheritance are we talking about now? His, his inheritance. This is Jesus' inheritance. His inheritance is in where? It's in us. Jesus is the king of kings. Without us, he's just king. There's no other kings. Jesus is lord of lords. If he didn't have any other lords to be lord over, he would just be lord. Jesus did all that. The inheritance is in us. If we don't live as kings, we're ripping Jesus off of his inheritance. He is not king of ragamuffins. He's not king of downtrodden poverty, sickness, you know, living in the, you know, the depths of poverty. No, no, he's king of kings. Okay? And when we don't live as kings, we rip Jesus off of his inheritance. We shortchange him. What is that all about? Shame on us. All right? Now, how many would you agree with this statement? We should give God all the glory. Anything wrong with that statement? Let me ask you something. Can you give God anything you don't have? Can you give anybody anything you don't have? Now, this is not giving God glory. Oh, I give God all the glory. No, that's praise. What you say with your mouth is praise. Glory is something completely different, and that's what we've been studying. We, I came up with 15 things. If you look in the Hebrew, you look in the Greek, I looked in Vine's Expository and Strong's Concordance, and then many of you know I was a federal agent. And so I got the privilege of protecting uh, not only leaders of our government, but lots of heads of states of foreign governments. And so I got to see glory up close, and I came up with a few of my own. And these are 15 aspects I came up with of glory. 
You can find more on your own time. I'm sure you can think of some more as we go along. These are the ones I'm going to look at because we'll never get off it if we keep adding to it. <laughs> All right. The first, the first, man, this is the very first thing that will get you into the club of glory. Wealth. If you don't have wealth, you've got no glory. You can't get in. You have no glory. Forget about it. No wealth. If you don't have wealth, you got nothing. So if you want to give God, God glory, the first place you've got to go is open up your checkbook. That's what tithing is all about. He ain't telling you tithe because you have to and he needs your money. He don't. What you want to do is give God glory. The wealth that he gives you, and he doesn't ask for all of it. He just wants the first fruits, the first 10% off the top, and whatever offerings that you know you want to give after that to give him extra glory. All right? That's what tithing is all about. Then we saw this entourage. And we saw that there was 100 million angels around the throne of God serving him, and that was part of his entourage. And then we also saw that as heirs of salvation, it says that those are ministering spirits for us. Heaven has a SEAL team for each one of us. Okay, that's part of our entourage. Whenever we go anywhere, we got Heaven's SEAL team with us. Don't even sweat it. That's how you can have supernatural protection. All right? Now, I also let me throw this out there. Part of our entourage are, is each other. When we hook into a local body, okay, we are part of each other's entourage. We're part of the family. It says we're members in particular of one another. Okay? So we all go four deep, six deep, eight deep, however, when we get in a fight. We all fight for each other. Okay? Now, the next thing we saw was commerce. And commerce is nothing more than creating wealth and moving wealth. Now, Saudi Arabia, I always say this, and uh, they're great at wealth. They've got a lot of wealth. They've got oil. What they don't have is commerce. When the oil runs out, then their wealth is going to run out. The U.S., we don't have, like, one particular thing that is, you know, giving us wealth. What we're really good at is commerce. We create wealth and move it around. And because of that, it goes hand in hand with the next one, which is military power. If you've got a big military, you've got glory. Okay, and they go hand in hand. If you watch the U.S., the point that we became a superpower in the world, it, it goes exactly the same length of how our military has been built up. When we were a brand new baby country, we didn't have a big military. We had to, you know, suck up to France for them to come help us. We didn't have a lot of glory. You know, there's not any glory into begging France. <laughs> then the next thing we saw was wisdom, promotion, and superiority. Wisdom means this in the Greek means supreme intelligence and skill. God said, if you ask me for wisdom, I'll give it to you. You have glory when you're a wise, the wisest man in the world. Man, we celebrate this even in the natural world, celebrates people who are wise, who are academically wise. They have supreme intelligence and skill. Well, if you're wise even in baseball, you know, we're like, that guy knows the game. There's a level of glory that goes with that, okay? Then the next thing is promotion. Promotion, I'm talking about, do, do you have or does God, this is where his glory is, he, he's got juice to promote you. And if you have glory, you've got the juice to promote somebody else. That means you're not at the bottom of the food chain. That means you've got somewhere, you're far up on the food chain that you can get somebody else promoted. That's to glory. And that gives God glory when you're in a spot. We saw that with Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego, and Shadrach. How when Daniel got promoted, he promoted his buddies. And that gave God glory. And then superiority. You mean more superior to people that aren't born again? Yeah, we just read the Bible. If you got the life of God on the inside of you and somebody doesn't, of course you're superior. Duh. But we saw in, in Daniel, it said that he made Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel ten times better than all the wisest men on the planet. They were ten times better. That's superior. Okay? When you start operating in the wisdom of God, supreme intelligence, people will recognize that you are better. You don't go around saying it, right? Because that's what meekness is. Jesus never did that. How do you know he had the supreme intelligence? Okay, he never acted like it, though, did he? No, he was a regular guy. He was a carpenter, one of the boys. He packed his lunch just like everybody else did. Why? Because that's, that's what meekness is. That's all meekness is, not being arrogant and cocky. 
All right, then we saw dignity. When we carry ourselves with dignity, we said it was this word presence, right? When you when you got your your shoulders up and your neck back and you're holding your and you walk into a room, you know, why do we have dignity? Because we're Christ's ambassadors. We never saw a U.S. ambassador walk into China. Oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know. No. They walk in, they've got the power of the government of the U.S. right behind them and all the military and all the commerce and all the glory. And so do you. You have all the military power that God has. You have all the commerce that God has. And you are a representative of the government of heaven. Let's carry ourselves with some dignity. Right? And we looked at that. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. We act with dignity. And when you carry yourself with dignity, why do you carry yourself with dignity? Because you have authority. And that's the next one. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And then he turned around and he gave us all the authority in the earth. Okay, so if you're having problems with the devil or sickness or whatever, Jesus can't do anything about it. You have to do something about it. Until you say, no, I'm not having that, because Jesus already paid for your healing 2,000 years ago. He's not going to go to the cross again. It's already done. He did everything he's going to do, and now it's up to us to do it. We have the authority, okay? God's not doing it to you. Now, see, that's a hard thing for some of us to take, because we have to take responsibility in our own life. We have, to do, we have to look at ourselves and say, well, where did I mess up? Well, the Holy Spirit will help you if you say, you know what? You're my teacher. You're my helper. Show me where I made my mistake. Because if we blame it off on God, if God's the one making you sick, why would you ever serve a guy like that anyway? Okay, if God did this to you and God did that to you, well, you don't know what he's going to do, and you never realize, you never do learn how to win because you think God's doing it to you. And unless you can look at yourself and find out where you did wrong and, and then I don't make that mistake again, then we can fix that one and go on. Okay, until you take responsibility for yourself, you can never enjoy your inheritance. All right, then we looked at nobility last week, that we are... Just as Jesus is, Son of Man and Son of God. We are no less the Son of God than Jesus is because we're born of the Spirit just like He was and we're born of the flesh. That was the two things to get into the kingdom of God, born of the flesh and born of the Spirit. Jesus was the only one that was born of the flesh and born of the Spirit at the same time. Right? We get born again, that's why we call it born again, because we were born of the flesh and then sometime later in our life we were born of the Spirit when we chose to, when we accepted Jesus. Right? Okay, and then we saw this. Well, if we have God's DNA on our spirit, then what's all this about adoption of sons? And we saw that the Holy Spirit adopts your body, and you, he becomes your natural father, just like he was Jesus' natural father. Yes, I have the DNA of Fred Whitman on the inside of me, but I'm no longer Fred Whitman's kid, right? I'm the Holy Spirit is my natural father, just like Jesus had his natural father, the Holy Spirit, and I have the, the spiritual father, the same as Jesus does, which is God. Okay? Now, my DNA, my physical DNA, doesn't match Jesus's. That's why we were adopted in. That's how we can enjoy our inheritance, because if you remember the very first slide, it said that adopted kids had the same right as somebody who was born of the same seed. All right? But our spirit has the same seed of God on the inside of it. The Holy Spirit mixes with our spirit. We have God's DNA, and we saw that in Acts. We are the offspring, the genos. We have the same DNA in our spirit as God has, as Jesus has, because he's our daddy. Okay. That brings us to the next one, valor. Valor. Now, we should get excited about valor because now I've, I've got this pretty far down the list. But valor is the entrance into glory. If you don't have any wealth, if you don't have an entourage, if you don't have any commerce in your life, then valor is the entrance to get all that. Okay? Now, why didn't you put that first, Andrew? Because I wanted us to understand what glory was before we... Find out how we get into it. Because you guys, need, we needed to understand what it was that we were getting into. Amen? Amen? All right. Now, valor is this. Courage, boldness, means you're brave and you're fearless. Fearless. Uh, well, let's just look at the scripture and that way it's not what I say. Let's go to Second Peter uh, chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. 
We'll start in verse 2. This says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that sounds like, you know, oh, that's just a nice little religious saying. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Oh, that's so nice. No. What he's saying is grace is favor. Favor. You want God to like you better? Here's what we're going to find out how we get God to like us. It's not doing a checklist. Peace is nothing more than quiet prosperity or quiet success. You want to enjoy success without having a bunch of problems? That's peace. He says, how does it be multiplied unto you? Through the knowledge of God and, our, and Jesus our Lord. Through the knowledge of God. You want to increase in grace? You want to increase in pro, uh, prosperity and quiet success, peace? He says, through the knowledge of God. Hey, that's why we come to church. I ain't coming to punch my ticket, guys. So, oh, it makes me feel better because I did the right. No, I want to know about, I want to learn about God. I want to learn about Jesus. And that's how we get increase in favor and we increase in peace and success. Okay, not just a nice little religion. Oh, that's so nice. In verse 3 it says this, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. When you learn about God, He said through His divine power, what He did is He gave you all the equipment that you need to live life. That means all the cars you need to drive to work, all the houses you need to live in, all the food you need to eat, all the clothes you need to wear, all the money, because money is equipment. Just for living. All of it. All of it. Then what's the next thing he says? And what else? Godliness. You know what godliness is? It means to be like, or God-likeness. To be like God. He gave you all the equipment to be just like him. Now, that's great, you know, and all the religious stuff going on. Oh, I want to you know, love like God loves. I want to have joy like God. That's good. I want all that. But you know what else God has? He has unlimited resources. You think God's sick? Is there any hospitals in heaven? Is God going down to Mount Sinai ER to get, you know, he stubbed his toe? So I'm going to be like God. He gave us all the equipment to be just like God. How do we get there? Through the knowledge of God and, our Jesus, and Jesus our Lord. Knowledge. Now we get to that part and it says it's through the knowledge of him. He hath called us, past tense, he hath called us to glory and virtue. And that word virtue in the Greek is this valor. It's the word valor. Now I looked it up in the Greek and it says this literally. Man up. I know you'd like that. When I saw it, I thought, Mike Alexander. Man, it, really, it literally means act like a man. It says man up. He called you to glory, and how do you get the glory? By virtue or valor. Manning up. Bravery, courage, fearlessness, being bold. Man up. Then, you, then you, that's your entrance into glory. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. And we saw this before. In the Greek, it literally says this. You are a partner of the Godhead. Now, you know, in, 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 the, legal, in the legal world, you know, uh, whatever law firm, Crutch, Kane, and Walker, and you started walk, working for them, and um, you want to be a partner. You want to get your name on the letterhead. That's the whole deal about being a partner in a law firm, a partner in a medical practice. Because you want to get your name on the letterhead, and then you're an equal share of everything. God said he made you a partner of the Godhead. When the letterhead comes out of heaven, it says, The Father, God. The Holy Spirit, God. The Son, God. Jesus, Mike, Cheryl, Kim, E.J., Shan. You're on the letterhead. He says you're a partner of the Godhead. Just reading the Bible. Don't shoot me. It says this, Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And lust is nothing more than a voice. If you're here on Friday nights, you understand that the lust of the flesh is nothing more than the voice of the flesh. The lust of the eyes is the voice of advertising. So, 
You have escaped the corruption that is in the world through all these outside voices. Because you know, the, the car salesman, he wants you to buy that car right now. Because he's not going to make another deal like this. Somebody's coming in 10 minutes. You better get it. And then you bought a lemon. That's a corrupt world. He said, you escaped that by not listening to those voices because you have knowledge of me and you man up. And besides this, giving all diligence. Now look, now there's some work to do. Diligence. Add to your faith virtue or valor. Add to your faith. You want to get your faith to work. Here's what it takes. It takes diligence on the front end. And then he says, you add to it valor. Add to it valor. Courage. Well, that reminds me of something, Kurt. Let's look over in Joshua. Joshua 1. Now, we've been talking about our inheritance. If you want to find out, now the book of Joshua, this whole book, is nothing more than a case study on how folks got their inheritance. It's the children of Israel taking the land, the promised land. Okay? So if you want to know how to get your inheritance, it says everything written in the Old Testament is an example for us. Let's look at the example. Joshua 1, we'll start in verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. Oh, hold, stop the tape right there. Joshua was Moses' minister? Yeah, you know what Joshua was doing? Getting him his coffee, emptying the trash. That's what your minister does. Pick your minister as well. If there's a minister that wants you to serve them, red flags should go off. The word minister hasn't changed. It says this in verse 2. Moses, my servant is dead. This is God talking to Joshua. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all the people, and unto the land which I do give them, even the children of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I have given it unto you, as I said unto Moses. Everywhere this cat can walk, it's his. Get to walking. Is it his until his foot, until he lands there? It could be his all, he already gave it to him. It says past tense, gave it to you. But until Joshua goes and sticks his foot there, you got to go get it. Our inheritance has already been given to us by Jesus 2,000 years ago. The reason people don't experience it is because they're not going to get it. He says, and then he tells them all the places that he should walk, from the wilderness and to this Lebanon, even to the great river Euphrates. That's in the middle of Iraq. And all the land of the Hittites and under the great sea towards going down to the sun shall be your coast. That's the Mediterranean Sea. All the way up to Lebanon, all the way down to Egypt, all the way over through Iraq and over to the Mediterranean. But that's a big chunk. Israel got whittled down pretty small now, didn't it? Then look at this. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. And that Hebrew word for stand is block. Listen to me. Not one man or woman on this planet can block you. They cannot stop you. I don't care what they. I don't care if it's a boss that doesn't like you. He can't block you from getting promoted. Not there's not one man that can. He says not one man. No, nobody. Nobody can block you. Not all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. That word fail means lose my strength. He said, Look, I'm God. I don't lose my strength, guys. I ain't getting weak. And then what's the next thing? He says, I won't forsake thee. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you high and dry. Now, why does he tell Joshua this? Because it'll appear that way. Because Satan doesn't, he's going to do everything he can do to keep you from getting your inheritance. And you know how he does it? Smoke and mirrors. 
He will make some, it'll make it appear that some man is blocking you. That's what happened to the children of Israel first time. We're grasshoppers in our own sight. There's giants in the land. No, 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 no. I don't care how big and how bad that guy is. Can't block you. It might look like it. You might think it in your head. But I'm telling you, God said, they can't do it. Amen. And then he said, and it might look like, it might appear to you that I left you high and dry, but I didn't. And you might think that I lost my strength, but I'm God, I didn't lose my strength. Then he says this, be strong and of a good courage. Man up. You want your inheritance? It's yours. I already gave it to you. Man up. Nobody can block you. I'm not going to abandon you. And I didn't lose my strength. Man up. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Man up. He says it again. Now, if God says it to you two times, maybe you should listen. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not to from the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Man up. Number three. Now it's three times. You think maybe it's going to take valor for us to get our inheritance, for us to get our wealth, to get our glory, that we're going to have to have valor. We're going to have to man up, be strong and of good courage. It'll look like somebody's blocking you. Nothing can block you. It'll look like God left you. He didn't. It'll look like God doesn't have any strength. It will look impossible. Well, what's he say next? He says, how are we going to be? How do you be strong and of good courage? He said, meditate on my word. Day and night. Don't let it, speak my word. Don't let it depart out of your mouth. Then you'll have success. Go uh, get back on the notes here. Sorry. <laughs> valor. Go to the next one for me, Mike. Remember, well, that's what valor is. Courage. It's boldness. It's brave. It's fearless. Man up. Boldness, okay? We, looked, we talked about this scripture, uh, 1 John 4, 17. I don't know. Ad nauseum last week, right? Now let's look at it. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness. You want to have boldness? You want to man up? It says in the day of crisis. If you look in, your, in the King James, it says the day of judgment. I don't know what other translations say. And this bugged me for the long, longest time because people say, oh, the day of judgment. Now, why do I need boldness when we get to the great white throne judgment? I'm already in heaven. I don't need that. I'm not going to hell. Why do I need, you know? And then it says, what, that we are like Jesus is in this world. So what's he talking about day of judgment? Well, I looked it up in the Greek and I couldn't figure it out. And I, finally, I looked at the Greek word, the actual Greek word. And, it, and I spelled it, and here's the spelling, K-R-I-S-I-S. Crisis. That is the Greek word for judgment that was written there. So in the day of crisis, we have boldness. Man up. Have courage. Here, you want to walk in love? Have boldness when, when it hits the fan. Amen. How are we going to do that? He said, because the same way Jesus is, so are we in this world. We're no different. We spent a lot of time on that last week. We are the same as Jesus is. If Jesus could pull it off, and it said he gave you all the equipment for life and godliness. All things pertain... We have no excuse. Man up. That's the, that's the missing key right there. Man up. Courage. You know, we say, well, that's great, Andrew. I know I'm just like Jesus is. How do we experience that? I'm glad you... See, if I just told you have courage and then said, let's go home, let's pray and go home, that doesn't help anybody, does it? Don't we want to know how we're going to do it? Okay. So let's go to 2 Timothy 1. Buckle up, right? Y'all believing with me? It's fixing to get good. 
2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. That word is dunamis, miracle working power. And of love, the God kind of love, agape. And a sound mind. And for years I thought, well, a sound mind, how does that fit in there? Oh, a sound mind, that's great. You know, does it mean I'm not fruity, nutty, flaky, what, you know? No, the Greek word for that is discipline. You, want to have, you don't want to have a spirit of fear? You want to have power? You want to walk in love? He said discipline. Discipline, 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 discipline. Discipline. Valor comes from discipline. Discipline comes from training. Okay? Look at... Uh, let me uh, look at Matthew 28, 18 real quick. I didn't want to look at this, but this will clear up something. See, people don't like when we start talking about discipline. That's scary, isn't it? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is here in a minute. But this is the, uh, Matthew 28, 18. This is the Great Commission. This is what Jesus said. We just looked at it a couple weeks ago under authority. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. He turns around and gives you all the authority in earth. And what are we supposed to do? And teach all nations. That Greek word says make disciples of or make disciplined ones. Disciples are nothing more than disciplined ones. Disciplined one. It's the root word of discipline. Disciple. He said make disciples of. You know why? Because if you're disciplined, then you can get your inheritance. Most of the body of Christ is not disciplined. You know how I know? Because they don't have no inheritance. They're not living in it. Red flag. A couple weeks... Uh, all right, Father, help me get this. Discipline, let me, let me just throw this out here. You know, in Song of Solomon, it says it's the little foxes spoil the vine. Everybody heard that? It's the little foxes. Yeah, and you heard this, that if you're faithful in little things, then God will give you bigger things. That is discipline. Discipline is being faithful in the little stuff. The little stuff. Because it's the little stuff that will add up to big stuff and, and it will take you out at the knees. It's also the little stuff that will add up and give you big inheritance. Start like showing up on time. Keeping your word. Getting in the word every day. Discipline. It's the little stuff. I'm not talking about doing a checklist. Okay, I'm talking about you being disciplined so that you can have valor. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were out uh, Friday night, and uh, we were at an ice cream place, and, and Colin Alexander was there, and Ethan Halverson, those guys wrestle. I'm like, hey, Colin, you like wrestling? He's like, because we're talking about practice. I'm like, you like that, practice? He's like, no, it's horrible. Psh, nobody likes practice. What, are you kidding me? Wrestling is like the most grueling athletic there is in high school. Okay, you know why? Because during practice, they, I mean, they wear the hound out of them kids. You know why? Because they're fixing to go into hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now, there are rules, but so hour after hour, day after day, week after week, they drill these guys, and they wear the hound out of their body for what, a three-minute match? Turn over to Hebrews 12. See if we can nail this down a little better. Now, here's a passage, right, that my dad always used to quote to me whenever he would whoop me. So, I, you know, I'm like, I don't know about this. Hebrews 12, right? Every time he beat me, he'd quote this to me. If I didn't beat you, you wouldn't be a son. You'd be a bastard. <laughs> God bless him. Hebrews 12 and verse 4. We'll start there. <clears throat> 
It says, you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. And sin is nothing more than settling. He said, look, you haven't resisted against a settlement unto blood. So you find yourself in a mess, you've settled for less, it's going to take a fight to get you out. He said, but you still haven't resisted unto blood. And if they didn't back then, chances are we haven't now. Then look, it says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked to him. Now, that's what he would always start talking about, chastening, chastening, you know. And discipline. Discipline's getting a whipping. No, see, this word chastening, you look it up in the Greek, it means training. Training. Now, I'm going to, as we go through this passage, I'm going to mix in, okay, 20 years ago, like a couple weeks ago, I'm not old enough to say that, but 20 years ago, I went to Marine Corps boot camp. What I did was I was trained of the Marine Corps. It was chastening. Okay? Now, let's read it again. It says, my son, my recruits, despise not the training of the Lord or your drill instructor. Faint not, don't quit when he yells at you. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. For whom the drill instructor wants to not die in battle, he trains. And scourgeth every son he receiveth. Drill instructor will make you do push-ups. He'll make you go on force march. He'll wear the hound out of you. He'll even beat you, every Marine whom he receives. Now, there was Marines that they didn't make it. They quit. They went to a place called Casual Platoon. Now, they could be there for three months. You know what? Those guys, they didn't get haircuts. They, didn't, they wore sneakers and shorts. They walked around with their hands in their pockets. Nobody yelled at them. You know why? Because they, they weren't received as Marines. They quit. That's what he's talking about, the training of the Lord. If you endure, in verse 7, training or chastening, God dealeth with you as a son. If you endure Marine Corps boot camp, your drill instructor will deal with you as a Marine. For what Marine is him that the drill instructor has not trained? Or what son is he whom the father has not trained or chastened? This word chastened is trained, training, 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 because what comes from training is discipline. But if you be without training, if you didn't go to boot camp, wherewith all of us did, he said, then you are bastards and not sons. That means you, you went to the army. You didn't go in the Marine Corps. Sorry, all you guys went in the army. Yeah, I know. I'm just teasing. I love everybody in the army. Do you all starting to get the picture, though? Training. Not, God's not up there with a big stick ready to whack you every time you do something wrong. He ain't interested in that. Jesus already paid the price for that. He took the punishment. He's not whacking anybody. If he did, he's a liar. Furthermore, in verse 9, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence or respect. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, those, those earthly fathers, for a few days trained us after their own pleasure, after their own program. But He, now well, here's, the, here's the key, why did we do training? Why does God train you? Why? Here it is, why? He for our, read it, profit. You want a profit? I want a profit. That's why we do training, for our profit. That we might be partakers of His holiness. That word holiness means you're a patriot. It doesn't mean doing a checklist. It means you're a patriot. There's a lot of Americans who aren't a patriot. If you're a patriot, that means you, you'll do whatever you, you will strive under blood. If you're a patriot for God, that means you better man up on the battlefield because it doesn't matter what the outcome will be. I'm fighting for God. Amen. That's what holiness is, being a patriot. Now listen. No chastening, it says in verse 11. For this present time seems joyous but grievous. Now, you know, Colin doesn't like wrestling practice, and it was a pain in the tail. 
at the time. You know when he liked it? When he won, when, he, when you know you're going to like it, Colin? When you win a match. Because then what? It says, nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Righteousness is equity, riches, honor, and life. You know what the fruit of righteousness is? Riches, honor, and life. I mean, no, it'll be real good. We go through training, it's a pain in the tail. But when you start getting riches, honor, and life, when you start seeing it happen in your life, boy, I love that training. I love it. Love it. Beat me some more. Thank you, sir. May I have another? How do we get it? Unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up hands that hang down and feeble knees. Look, guys, man up. Get them hands up. Let's go. We're going to war. You want your inheritance? Man up. How are you going to do it? Through training. On the battlefield, this is why Marine Corps boot camp and any, really any of the services, here's why we do training. Because whatever you do in training, you'll do in battle. Whatever you're trained to do, you're going to do in the time of crisis. The day of crisis, I'm not on that one, but day of crisis, that's how you have boldness. Whatever you do, that's what you're going to, whatever you train to do. Listen, for seven years I was a cop. I always, 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 say always, always. kept my gun right here on my hip, right hip. You know why? Thousands of hours on the range, I'm trained to draw here. When I go for my gun, I automatically go here. Whether I was in plain clothes, whether I was a special agent, whether I was in uniform, I kept my gun here. Muscle memory, they call it. When it and I had to draw it many a time in the real deal. My hand automatically go there. It still will. If somebody yells gun, I'll automatically go there. Automatically. Now I have a buddy of mine, he's a retired uh, cop, and he always wears his... For 30 years, I get, he wore his ankle holster on his right leg. Ankle holster, okay? Now, about a month ago, he got a rash on his ankle, so he changed the ankle holster to his left leg. I said, dude, what are you doing? You're going to get killed. No, I'm not. I said, you are automatically going to go for the right leg. You're in a, you have to go for that gun. You are automatically going for the right leg. No, I won't. So, you know, I let a couple minutes go by, and then I went, gun! And he grabbed for his right leg, and I said, I had no gun there, was there, buddy? He's like, oh, yeah, shut up. <laughs> what you do in training, you're going to do in battle. Now, this is why most Christians lose out on their battles. When they show up, that's why sickness will beat the hound out of them. That's why poverty will beat the hound out of them, because they have no training. They're not disciplined. Because that's why discipline's good. It may seem like a pain in the butt at the time. But when you win, whew, that's a good one. Amen. Turn to um, Acts 24. Verse 16. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. Now listen, we just talked about the Lord training you. That's what we do when we come to church, okay? That's why it's important you pick the right church. I'm not telling you to come here. Go to wherever one you get, you get trained to the Lord in. Right. You get trained in the Word, that's the one you want to hang out at. Because that's your book. When you come to church, that's your training class, okay? That's why we come. Now, when you go home, now it's on you. You've got to discipline yourself to do your training. No one's going to make you. No one makes you come to church. No one's going to make you be disciplined. You've got to do it on your own. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Acts 24. Therefore, I always exercise and discipline who? Say, I discipline myself. No one's going to make you do it. You can come here and hear the word and hear the word and hear the word, and it's great. Oh, it's wonderful. And then you leave here and you don't discipline yourself. You don't exercise yourself. It is a waste of time. Stay home and watch, you know, whatever's on, show, on TV. Make it a good thing, you know, bull riding or something that you really enjoy. Because coming here, if you don't exercise, you don't train yourself, you're wasting your time. Because you're not, you're going to do what you've disciplined yourself to do in battle, what you do every day. It's automatic, okay? Now let's go to um, 1 Corinthians 9. 1 
1 Corinthians 9.27. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. Listen, guys, every, I, I knew some Medal of Honor winners in my life. They were from Vietnam. They were like Sergeant Majors when I was like a PFC and a and Lance Corporal. And I always asked them, Sergeant Major, what was it like, you know, when you won the Medal of Honor? What was it? He's like, uh, I was just doing what I was trained to do. Every one of them. I've talked to people that got the Bronze Star, the Navy Cross. None of them would be like, yeah, I was the man. No, every one of them would say, I just did what I was trained to do. I just did what I was trained to do. That's why if there's uh, anybody, any military guy that's worth their salt or any cop on the street, they're always craving training. They want more training. Not because, oh, we just like training. Why? Because that's what will get us home at the end of the shift. That's what will get us out of Iraq that's after the six-month pump or whatever. That's why they crave training. We should crave training because it's going to be what keeps us alive when it, when it hits the fan. The devil hates you. You have a target on your back. You are dangerous to him. Okay, he will take you out any way he can. So there will be battles. So, but God says, man, man up. Valor, courage, and it comes from discipline. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 9. It says, but like a boxer, I buffet my body and handle it roughly. I discipline it by hardships and subdue it for fear that after proclaiming the gospel to others and the things pertaining to it, that I myself should become unfit. Now, I know a lot of guys, this happens, especially in law enforcement. We go to the academy, man, we did our training, we're disciplined about the first five years, man, we're still going to the gym, we're still running, and then pretty soon we start looking Krispy Kreme. <laughs> well, I don't need to run today. I'll, you know what, I'll skip the workout today. I'll just do three workouts this week, and the other three days I'll be a Krispy Kreme. What happens? When you start, let your discipline slip, you'll become unfit. Next thing you know, their gun was here, and now it's out to here, and they got room for like 15 extra magazines around in here because <laughs> they let their discipline slip, they become unfit. Okay, this is the same thing spiritually I'm talking about, okay? When you don't discipline yourself, it's little things. Little five, it is just one little thing here. Well, I don't have to, you know what, I won't pray today. It's all right, I'll get it tomorrow. God understand. I'm not trying to get you to do your checklist, okay? The same thing with those confession sheets back there. Because when I say the word every day, and I say the word every day, I say the word every day, you know why I do that? Not because I'm doing a checklist. Because, wham, when sickness comes on me, I'm going to say the word. It's automatic, just like I'm going for my gun. Automatic. I don't have to drum it up. And you know what? When I'm sick, I don't need. I don't have the time to go looking through the word. I don't have the energy to look through the word. I need to have it coming out my mouth. That's what this is about. What time we got? You guys got a couple minutes? Second Chronicles 14. I don't want to shortchange this one. This one is big. I mean, it's it's our entrance into glory. You want wealth? You want commerce? Let's start with valor. Second Chronicles 14. Let's just start reading. Verse 1. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. And the days of the land were quiet for ten years. Ten years. And Asa did that which was good and the right and right in the eyes of the Lord God. He took away all the altars and the strange gods in the high places. He broke down the images, cut down the groves, commanded Judah. Now listen, Judah and Israel are two separate countries. They split at this point. Bottom two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they split away from Israel. In the top ten tribes, Israel went after idols. Okay? Judah said, now we're going after God. Now they still had people that were worshiping idols, and that's what Asa did. He went town to town, city to city, knocking down all the idols. And in verse 4, he said, He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandments. Say discipline. discipline. Ten years he starts this. Kick all the idols out, now we're going to do what the law says. We're going to do the commandment of the Lord. Ten years they're drilling it. Ten years, ten years, ten years, ten years, ten years. It seemed like nothing was happening for ten years, but we're just doing our checklist. Okay? 
Keep reading. And he took away all the cities of Judah, the high places and the images and the kingdom, was quiet before him. So they got quiet. They got peace. And they built fenced cities in Judah. But the land had rest, and there was no war in those years because the Lord had given them rest. Now, when you're in rest, that's no time to let your discipline slip. That's the time where you need to do your discipline. You need to do your training because that's the time you have to rest. You're not fighting anybody. Let's keep doing it. Ten years, ten years, ten years. They're doing their discipline, doing their discipline. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities and make them about walls and towers and gates and bars in verse 7. While the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought Him, and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. They're not in a fight. They're building and prospered. No time to get comfortable. This is where most Christians lose it. They start experiencing their inheritance. They get comfortable. Then Asa had an army of men. So he puts together an army that bare targets and spears of Judah, 300,000, and of Benjamin to bear shields and drew bows, 204 score thousand. And all of these men were mighty men of valor. They're disciplined. This is a, they can't have valor unless they had discipline. They had trained. Ten years he's training this army. They got about 500 and what? 580,000? Four score, that's, uh, yeah, 580,000. Now look in verse 9. This is ten years went by. Discipline. And there came out against them Zerah of Ethiopia with a host of a thousand thousand. That's a million. Uh oh. Now we're outnumbered like two to one. And 300 chariots or 300 tanks. Oops. They had the armor coming. Right? And they came unto Maresha. And Asa went out against him. And they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephthah at Maresha. So they go out and they meet him. They set the battle out. Everybody got their lines out on this mountain. They're on that mountain. And then look what happens. Asa goes back, finds a place, and it says, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God. Now did he cry, Oh God, why would you let this happen to me? Oh, I can't believe this, God. What are you doing? No, look what he said. Lord, it's nothing for you to help. Lord, it's nothing for you to help. Whether we be many or whether with them have no power. Whether we had a million or we had three guys in wheelchairs, it's nothing for you to help. It don't matter. Why is he saying this? This is the word of God. Why is he saying it? Because he's been disciplined for the last ten years. Battle, here it comes. Now what's he do? He goes immediately to God and says, it's nothing for you to help. You didn't lose your strength. No man can stand against me. You didn't fail me. doesn't matter whether I have three guys in a walker or we got a million guys on the battlefield. And then look what he says. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude in thy name. And he says, O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. See how he shifted the whole responsibility onto God? We're going out here in your name. Man, if they whoop us, God, they're whooping you. I, these bills ain't mine, God. I'm doing what you told me to do. You got to pay them. I did it doing what you told me to do. All right, let's keep reading. It says, So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa. So here comes God's military power. He gives them a good whack, right? And before Judah and the Ethiopians fled, they turned tail and ran. I gave them one good whack and then they run. Now look what happens. And Asa and the people that were with them cheered and yelled and sat back and had mint juleps and did nothing. We won. God whooped them. Yay. No. They got on their horse. They said, the people that were with them pursued them unto Gerar. And the Ethiopians were overthrown. They went after them. Why? Because watch. They, the Ethiopians could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord and before His host, and they carried away very much spoil. Go get your inheritance. Man up. Let's have some valor. I gave them a good whack to the Lord. Now they're running. Go get them, boys. Everything is yours. You've got to go get it, though. 
And they smote all the cities round about Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they spoiled all the cities, and there was exceeding much spoil in them. And they smote also the tents of the cattle, and they carried away the sheep and the camels in abundance, and they returned to Jerusalem. Woohoo! Discipline. Ten years. Ten years. Just doing it. Doing the word, doing the word, doing the word, doing the word. They were at rest, they were prospering, but they did not let their discipline slip. Now let's look what happens. And the Spirit of the Lord, in verse 15, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto them, Hear me now, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he'll be found of you, but if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. You let your discipline slip, and God can't fight your battle for you anymore. Why? Because what, what happened is you're not going to call on him. Because what you do in training is what you'll do in the battle. Now, I'm not going to read for time's sake, but uh, another 20 years goes by. They swear an oath and say, we're going after God. And because of that, they start prospering. Israelites, people from Israel say, hey, God's with them and they're prospering. They start moving out of Israel and in droves moving to Judah. Because they want to go where God's at because they're prospering. So, the king of Israel, after about 20 years of this, he's had enough. He's going to go build the first Berlin Wall. He said, are you going to stop anybody from coming out of Israel and going into Judah? He's losing his tax base. Okay? So they go to do that. Then, uh, 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 well, let's look what happens. Now, 20 years goes by. You're fat and happy. you got exceeding much spoil. What Asa did was he got comfortable. You know how I know? Because look what happens next. And in the 6th and 30th year, chapter 16 and verse 1, the 6th and 30th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that's that Berlin Wall I was talking about, to the intent that he might let none go out or come into King Asa of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord into the king's house, and he sent them to Bahadad, king of Syria, Damascus, saying, There's a league between you and me, and there was between my father and thy father, and behold, I've sent thee silver and gold. Go break the league with Basha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. Now, instead of going to God like he did against the Ethiopians, Ethiopians was big. They're outnumbered to two to one plus tanks. He says, God, this is your deal. Now, here's this whistle britches from up north going to build a wall. Who cares? You know, Asa should have been happy. He would have kept the illegal immigration down. They wouldn't have had that, you know, Medicare wouldn't have been a big a problem. Social Security wouldn't have been getting drained out. People would have been getting illegal Judah driver's licenses. He should have been happy. Now, what's he do? He doesn't go to God and say, God, can you take care of this little problem for me? He goes and he takes money out of the temple, out of God's treasury. He rips God off. Then he takes some of his own money and he sends it to the king of Syria and says, take care of my light work for me. What are you doing? That's how I know he couldn't have been disciplined because there's no way. The first time he was really facing something big, he goes with God and God shows up big time. There's a commerce transfer of wealth. Man, they're awesome. This time it's a little piddly thing. And the first thing he does is go for the checkbook because now he's got prosperity because he started walking in his inheritance. He got comfortable and he let his discipline slip. Verse 4, And Ben-Hadad hearkened to the king of Asa, and he sent captains of his armies against the cities of Israel, and he smote Ijon, Dan, and Abilam, and the store cities of Naphtali. So they just go into Israel, and they just start whacking cities. And it came to pass when Basha, king of Israel, heard it, he left off building the wall, Ramah, and let his work cease. Then king Asa came from Judah, and they carried away all the stones and the timber at Ramah that they were using to build. Big, okay, and then he has a big party. Look, we got stones, and we got lumber, and look at all the building. Great. 
You forgot to tell all of Judah that you spent their cash, you spent God's cash, you traded gold and silver for some sticks and some rocks. Oh, and I had a great victory. And then you made it look good, right? But then look what happens. Verse 7. Then at the time, Hanani, the seer, that's a prophet, came to Asa the king, and he said to him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore the host of the king of Syria has escaped out of thy hand. You know what that's telling me? That God was fixing to give all the wealth of Syria over to Judah too. He was setting this little thing up with Ramah because he says he was in a league with Israel. Syria would have come against him with Israel, and they would have won everything that Syria had. Instead, he gives cash to Syria, and now they've escaped out of their hand. God can't do anything to get that money to them because he didn't rely on God. So what God had set up for him, listen, God has inheritance set up for you that because you take a set, another way out and you don't have valor and you don't man up and rely on God, you just wasted it. He can't get it to you anymore. That one's gone. It says this in verse 8, Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you did rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thy hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. We've quoted that verse a lot, haven't we? Look, what, look in the context it's written in. You blew it. God wanted to show up. All you had to do was have courage, man up, keep your discipline going, do what you did in training, and you'll win. But because you didn't, you didn't rely on me, and now you lose. And don't say, oh, why didn't, God, you know, why didn't God help me out? Herein thou hast done foolishly, Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asa got on his face and repented and sought God. Is that what it says? No. And Asa was mad at the prophet and he put him in a prison then he oppressed the people. This guy gets dumber by the second. It's a downward spiral. If you remember on Friday, I said it was a cycle, right? You defile your conscience, right? Then you get out of faith, you get into unbelief, then you get disgusted, then you get in disobedience, then anything that you do, is you're a castaway. And then look, in verse 12. And Asa in the thirty and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until the disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians. Now, I'm not telling you not to go to the doctor, but you go to the doctor and trust in the doctor, you will lose every time. The doctor's good for telling you what you're fighting. He doesn't tell you whether you live or die. That's none of his business. You go to God and say, I'm living. Because your word says I'm living. Don't go to the doctors first. You find, yeah, they're great for a diagnostic check. You don't take the, your car to the mechanic and he tells you this is what's wrong with it and then, oh, your car's going to die. No, he's just telling you what's wrong with it. That's what the diagnostic check is. That's what a doctor's for. And yes, they can help you with treatments and all that, but they don't have any say whether you live or die. Right. You do. Right. You lay down your life and you take it up. Amen. That's your inheritance. I know we're late, guys. Run over to Hebrews real quick. I want to finish this out. I don't want to lose this. We're, man, we're at such a good place. Hebrews 5 and then we'll finish. Listen, my drill instructor used to have me standing out, well, all of us, we'd stand out there at attention for, I don't know, hours on end, screaming, discipline is instant obedience to orders. Discipline is instant obedience to orders. Discipline is instant obedience to orders. Discipline yourself to say the word instantly. When the first time the sickness comes on, you feel the first thing, you say what the word says about you. Don't be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of feeling, you know, oh, my back hurts a little bit. No, discipline is instantly you jump on it. Instantly instantly and when you let your discipline slip then look what happens hebrews 5 let's start in verse 11 
He's talking about Jesus. He says, of whom we, of Jesus, we have many things to say and hard to be uttered seeing you are dull of hearing. I say this every week though. What I say out of my mouth, my utterance depends on your hearing. If you're dull of hearing, I can't say stuff that you need, the information you need to have to get you to win. If you're not expecting, you're just coming here to you know, like, you know, punch your ticket and you're dull of hearing, God can't get the word to you. Okay? These people were dull of hearing. And I'll tell you, this is the danger. When you've been in the word a long time, you'd be like, oh, I heard that before. I know that. God's my source. I know God's my source. Please, you ain't telling me nothing new. You're dull of hearing because you're letting your discipline slip. Look what happens. For when the time is that you should be teachers, and that word in the Greek is master instructors, the time that you should be a master instructor, you have one that need to teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And you are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. You let your discipline slip. You can't handle the meat anymore. You're dull of hearing. And instead of being a master instructor, you're a recruit. It's like you don't know anything. You will lose whatever revelation that you have when you don't act on it. Listen to me. When you're not instantly and constantly on top, discipline, instant obedience to God's Word, if you don't stay on top of it, you will lose it. You may know it, but you won't experience it anymore, and you won't know how to get it to work again. Then you'll become disgusted. And nothing you do will work, and then you'll be blaming God. It's because you let your discipline slip. For everyone, in verse 13, that uses milk is unskillful in the Word of righteousness, for he is a babe. I don't care if you've been born again a hundred years. You become unskillful when you go back to milk. When you are dull of hearing, you will not be skillful. And you know what the weapon is? The word is your weapon in any battle that you face, whether it's poverty, whether it's sickness, it's bad relationships, I don't care what it is. If you're unskillful in it, it you're going to get your lunch eaten. You let your discipline slip, you cannot win because what you do in training, you will do in battle. You cannot have valor. You will not man up. You will not win in life if you let your discipline slip. It's not about doing a checklist. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt, but it's really good when you win. Really good. And then when you win, don't get comfortable. They'll be like, well, I won that one. There's another one coming in. It's going to be bigger. Promise you, it'll be bigger. So keep at it. Keep at it. Keep it even. You know what? Um, there's, I, I said one week what I say in the shower is like a confession. I start with my you know, skin, talk to my teeth and my eyes and my hair and my back and my money and my checkbook. And I, say, and I said it real fast and everybody's like, oh, my gosh. You know, what do you, you know what, I, every time I turn the shower on, I'm disciplined. I say that. And when I don't feel like saying it, you know what? I say it twice. <laughs> till my body says, you know what? Let's not mess with him. Cause, oh, you, you didn't like I say it twice? We'll say it four times if you don't keep messing. You discipline yourself. I'm serious. I mean, it's funny, but it's serious. That's why I win. I refuse to lose. Absolutely, positively refuse to lose. Amen. I don't have to. You don't have to. Amen. We won't. In this church, we're not Amen. going to lose. Amen. We ain't losing anybody to sickness. We ain't losing anybody to poverty. Amen. We're not. Amen. I refuse to do it. Right. I want everything that God has for us. Yes, we will be disciplined. Amen. So when I come in, you know, that's some people that you don't like my style, so what? Let's win. Amen. Who cares what my style is when we win, right? Amen. When you walk out, you know, you get off the bed and you're healed. Who cares? Who cares? Let's win. Amen. All right, Gloria, stand to your feet with me. We're done. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. Father, seal this word in our hearts. Bring to our remembrance man, that we would be instant on top of being uh, obedient to your word. Help us to keep our discipline going. It's not a checklist, Father. It's because we want to do in training what we want to do in battle, and that's win. We want to man up. We want to win. We want to experience all of your glory, and this is the entrance to it. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.